People are looking for hope. And we have that which they need. So we need to be that light. We need to shine brightly before others. To be the example. Be willing to take these steps of faith, even though it might go against the cultural norm or the commands that we might have come down on us in government, that we should shine light. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. You've got to let go and let go. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. So tonight we're beginning the book of Exodus and we're going to be looking at chapters 1 and 2 in the book of Exodus and learning about Moses and the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and heading toward the promised land. So let's go ahead and just get into the text and learn from God's word tonight. And so we find, as we continue verses 15 through 21, the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Ziphrah and the other was Puah, And he said, when you do the duties of the midwife for the Hebrew women and you see them on their birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. So Pharaoh ordered the Hebrew midwives to kill all the baby boys as they were being birthed. They were to be immediately killed. But the Bible tells us, verse 17, the midwives feared God. And did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. The Hebrew word here for fear is yair, which means to fear, to be afraid of, or it can mean to revere. I like that. In other words, they stood in awe of God, honored him above the commandments of men. We find in the New Testament that Peter and the other apostles were challenged in their day and age to obey God rather than men when they were told not to speak in the name of Jesus any longer. In Acts 5.29, the word of God tells us that Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And here in the Greek, that word for ought can refer to a moral necessity for our obedience, a moral necessity for our obedience. And so, according to the Word of God, we know that the Word teaches that we are to be 
submissive to the governing authorities for the Lord's sake, in order that we might bring glory to God. However, when the government turns against the commands of God, we, like Zifra or Pua, we have a moral obligation to obey God rather than men. So it was, verses 18 through 21, the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done these things and saved the male children alive? Why do I see so many baby Hebrew boys running around? What's going on? And the midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiply and grew very greatly. And so it was, because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. So because they obeyed God rather than the commandment of the king, God provided households for the two midwives for their faithfulness to him. But notice in verse 22, afterwards Pharaoh commanded, every son who is born you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive. Thus Pharaoh put the responsibility of killing the newborns on the parents. So each family had to choose to either walk in obedience to the commandment of God or to the government. And sadly, there's evidence of a mass grave of infants in Egypt that points to the fact that maybe many of the parents obeyed the government rather than God. Archaeologists have discovered evidence of a large slave town, which shows evidence of hasty desertion and abandonment of households, possessions, and implements like it would be in the Exodus. And they quickly went out in a single day. And in the same area, there is a site of a mass infant burial ground. And so it could be that many of the parents chose to obey Pharaoh rather than God. And may it be that we would have the courage in the day and age that we live in to do what's right, to honor God over human government, to do what's right in his sight. And we have to judge those things, but it's important that we would have such confidence in the Exodus account here in chapter 1, it tells us that God blessed the midwives because of their faithfulness to him. But also we learn in the book of Acts that God blessed the apostles as well. In Acts 4.33, it tells us, And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. They chose to obey God rather than men, and God blessed them with the empowering of the Holy Spirit and his grace. And although many are attempting to erase, as I said earlier, our Judeo-Christian heritage, there is uh, an attempt to erase our history today in our land. May we be people who refuse to forget the foundational truths upon which our country has been founded. And may we not only remember these things, but pass them on to our children, especially our faith in Jesus Christ. You know, I'm still in school. I still take online classes. I'm still learning. 
I've never, in years past, I never really considered myself a great student. Being a pastor kind of demanded me to have to be a student. It's like if you're going to come up and speak before people and teach the Word of God, you need to know some things. And so I'm still learning. I'm still growing. And I really don't think that I cared that much for history, but I have to tell you right now, I want to learn our history in this nation because our nation's history is so under attack. I want to be able to counterattack and to speak truth. Whether people will listen or not, I want to be a voice of truth. I hope that you do as well. So that's chapter one. Let's go ahead and get into chapter two tonight. And the word of God tells us in verses one and two, and the man of the house of Levi went and took as wife, a daughter of Levi. And so the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. So here we have the introduction of Aram and Jochebed, the father and mother of Moses, who at this point we know later on in, in the passage in this chapter, we'll learn that Moses had an older sister. Later on, we'll know learn that he had an older brother, uh, Aaron, and Miriam, his sister. And so they had already had two. They had a son and a daughter, but now they're speaking specifically of the birth of Moses. That this chapter here in chapter two, covering at least 40 years of Moses's life, His parents, though, because they were willing to honor God over man, allowed Moses to have life. Pharaoh had ordered, as I, we learned in the last chapter, that every male that was born alive was to be cast into the river. But Amram and Jochebed saw that their son, being beautiful, hid him for three months. It tells us here, that she hid him for three months in verse two. But we not only learned the names of Moses's parents in Exodus 6.20, we also read in Hebrews 11.23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. They knew what was right. And they said, forget the Pharaoh. We're going to do what's right in the sight of God. And they hid their son. Some might say that there was a, a partial obedience. They would take the baby boy and cast him into the Nile River. In a moment, we're going to read about Jochebed building an ark to put her son in. And where did she place him? In the Nile River. Technically, she placed him in the river. She just put him in a boat that he wouldn't drown and that he would be safe there. But it was because of their disobedience to the king that a great man of faith arose who would deliver the children of Israel from the captivity of Egypt. In a similar way, I'm very thankful for the role that my parents played in my family. They not only helped me, my sisters, but many others come to faith in Jesus Christ. I know that my parents' example played a great role in myself becoming the man I am today. And I want to be that type of example. I've said this many times. 
over the last several years from the pulpit that a good man, according to the Proverbs, a good man leaves good gifts to his children and his children's children. And so to his kids and to his grandchildren, a good man leaving good gifts. And, you know, as I consider that verse, there may be some financial gifts left if the Lord should tarry and I go home to be with the Lord at some point. But when I say a good man leaving good gifts to his children, his children's children, that part of faith is so important to me that I would pass on my faith and be an example of faith to my children, to my children's children, as my parents was for myself and my sisters. But my dad being a pastor over in Zion, Illinois, there's a number of people who came to faith under his ministry. So many were blessed because of his faithfulness, not just my own family. And I too want to be that. We can all be that. For those who are around us, we can impact others for Christ. And right now, there is a great need for people to live Christ. Before others, there are a lot of people who are in despair. Suicide is very high right now in our nation. Drug overdose is very high right now in our nation. And people are looking for hope. And we have that which they need. So we need to be that light. We need to shine brightly before others to be the example, be willing to take these steps of faith, even though it might go against the cultural norm or the commands that we might have come down on us in government, that we should shine lights. So in uh, San Diego, Pastor Michael McClure, over the last year in San Diego, California, his church has... $2 million worth of fines against his church. Pastor Michael McClure has $100,000 plus on his person fined in San Diego. And I was listening to him on a podcast probably a month or two ago. And all that stuff's going on. They actually changed the name of their church today. So um, I forgot the new name, but God's working. But one thing that he said, he said when all this began, the COVID thing began a couple of years ago, he said we had about 500 people coming to our church. Right now we have about 3,000 people coming to our church. So yeah, the government's fining them. The government is harassing them. And God is bringing people into their fellowship. And their church is growing in spite of all that the government's trying to do against them. So it was, back to our Exodus account. Chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Now when she could hide him no longer, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, dubbed it with asphalt and pitch, and put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done with him. So it became a difficulty. How do you hide a three-month-old baby boy? They tend to cry a bit. It's hard to keep them silent. And so they made an ark. They placed him in the Nile. And they had Miriam stand close by to watch to see what would become of him. Perhaps they knew where Pharaoh's daughter came down to the river to bathe. Because that's what we discover right now in verses 5 and 6. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river 
and her maidens walked up along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maids to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby wept. Nothing like a crying baby to pull at the hearts of a wannabe mom. And she had compassion on him. And this is one of the Hebrew children, she said. So the timing was perfect. Of course, it was God's timing in this whole thing. Now Miriam's watching, and she immediately came over to the princess and said, verses 7 through 9, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? Hint, hint, kind of directing it a little bit here. And the daughter said to her, go. And so the maiden went and called the child's mother. God is just hilarious in how he does things sometimes. And then Pharaoh's daughter said to Moses' mom, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. So not only did she uh, get her son back for a period until he was winged, and I had read once, a long time ago, it's just stuck in my head, can't confirm it, but believed to be that a child would wing around the age of three years old. So it could have been that mom raised Moses for three years, had three years to invest in her son. And I can tell you that a three-year-old can learn quite a bit in a household. And she was even paid for her services. In verse 10, the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And so she called his name Moses saying, because I drew him out of the water. So once winged, possibly around the age of three, Moses became the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. She named him Moses, a name that means drawn out or he who draws out. One of the commentators put it this way, the one who draws out i.e. delivers, draws out Israel from Egypt through the water of the Red Sea. So they connected his name to that of his mission that he would save Israel from the Egyptian captivity. Of course, we know that God was always behind the scene working in Moses' life. Stephen wrote about this account in the book of Acts, chapter 7, verse 17 through 22, Stephen would say, And when the time came of the promise drew near, which God has sworn to Abraham, and the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with the people. He oppressed our fathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God. And he was brought up in his father's house for three months. And when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in word and deed. So this takes us, verse 10, to 40 years of Moses' life. He was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, was mighty in words and deeds. Josephus, the Jewish historian, wrote of Moses victoriously leading an Egyptian army against the Ethiopians who had come and 
defeated the Egyptians and subjugated their people. And Moses, as the Ethiopians left Egypt to go back to their land, Josephus writes about Moses taking a, a shortcut across the wilderness of, I think, uh, poisonous snakes or something. It's been a while since I read this. But he actually took the Egyptian army through a shortcut. He beat the Ethiopian army back to their own land and so was able to not only conquer them but recover everything that had been lost. So there are, outside of the Bible, historical events that uh, Moses was truly, as Scripture said in Acts 7.22, learned in the wisdom of the Egyptians, being a man mighty in words and deeds. The Lord was working all things together for good years before Moses would ever have a relationship with God. God was there watching over the life of Moses from being a child to being raised up in the household of an Egyptian princess, the daughter of Pharaoh. It reminds us, as the Lord spoke to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5, saying to him, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctify you. I had ordained you to be a prophet of God. And it might not be that we have been ordained to be prophets or preachers or priests or missionaries, but God has created us for his purpose, to fulfill his divine purposes in our lives. So 11 through 15, we find that it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens and saw an Egyptian beating one of the Hebrews of his brethren. So Moses went out in his 40th year. According to Stephen again in Acts 7.25, the Bible teaches us that Moses supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. So at 40 years old, this tells me in Acts chapter 7, verse 25, that Moses had an inkling of the call of God upon his life. And he attempted to fulfill that call by killing one Egyptian. Having the idea of God's call upon his life, the Bible tells us, verse 12, Moses looked this way and that. And when he saw no one, he killed an Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Some have said about this verse that Moses looked this way and that, but he forgot to look up before he killed the Egyptian. On the following day, when he returned to that area and saw two Hebrew brethren fighting one another, he tried to correct them and they responded to him. Father, you know that I I love going through your word. I love the account given to us of Moses and the Exodus and such great moments of faith being displayed. But also we learn tonight times when Moses' faith wasn't so great, when he actually ran instead of standing strong. But even in this, we understand through your word tonight, Lord, that he needed to run for a time, for a season, because there was more that you needed to teach him. 
He needed to become a shepherd that he might shepherd your people. Lord, I don't know exactly where each of us might be in our lives tonight. We might be in the process of that learning period. You have a plan for us that I believe and that I trust. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to be willing to learn, to look into your word, to grow in faith, that we might serve you in the day and age that you have placed us in. Lord, it is not a mistake that we live in this very hour that we find ourselves in, in a world, Lord, that is just confused. Lord, you have given us faith in Jesus. So help us to be a people of faith and to be a light to others around us. I pray for those, Lord, who are sick. Pray for those who are suffering. As we began tonight, Lord, with those who have recently passed away, some of the pastors in the Calvary Chapel movement, Lord, they've gone to be with you. Lord, I pray that you would be with those families and just bless them. Bless us, Lord. Be with our families as well. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.